Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Emma Sexton and Natalie Campbell. This week we get meta as we talk about the Me Too movement here at Talk Radio. Plus we are featuring a big discussion about catcalling and the shocking horror of what happens to young women sent off to be married abroad. Add a little extra to that, we have got the fantastic Florence Schechter, director of the world's very first vagina museum telling us all about how she did it and some incredible facts about vaginas. One, two, three, four! First, let's kick off as ever with our news of the week. So this week we are starting with a bit of meta news, news that is from our own talk radio. So you probably saw this earlier on in the week. Uh, James Whale, presenter here at talk radio, having a conversation with journalist Nikki Hodgson about uh, the Me Too movement. And during the conversation, Nikki mentioned that, in fact, she spoke really movingly about being orally raped earlier on in the year. And a, well, James Whale listened to this and didn't react the way we would have reacted. So his response to it was to sort of mouth orally raped, have a bit of a laugh and move the conversation on, keep asking why she hadn't reported it to the police. Basically, what she felt was victim blaming. Talk Radio have issued a statement about it. Uh, so James Wells' interview with Nikki Hodgson on Monday was not conducted in a manner that was conducted in a manner that did not reflect the values of the station and completely lacked sensitivity when she discussed her personal story. This style of broadcasting is not something that Talk Radio supports or encourages, and we've taken the decision to suspend James Well pending a full investigation. The incident saw regrettable errors made by both the production and presenting teams and we are taking measures to ensure that they are not repeated again. We've had Nikki on the show before. She is a friend of the show. I really, I felt for her on this. I appreciate Talk Radio taking action and really responding to it um, because I think this is part of a wider culture that doesn't listen to women's stories properly. Nat, what do you think? Well, the first thing to say is that because there is an ongoing investigation, we can't prejudice that. So we're not going to get into the details of it. Um, but this is something that we talk about all the time, um, regardless of, of where it happens. So this isn't the, the, the first or, or last time we'll be discussing it, but we can't get into the details of the case. More widely, I do think that every time you open the, the, the paper, there is another story about uh, a woman holding a man to account and saying what you're saying to me right now is wrong 
And I don't know how many more times we have to say this is not acceptable before a generation of men and women, I should yeah, say. Yeah, it is a dinosaur. It's dinosaur thinking, isn't it? Because Outda- you know, outdated d- yeah. dinosaur thinking, and they haven't realised that they're that people just won't put up for the, put up with the sorts of things that um, they may be experienced or, or or the way that they uh, feel about sexual relations between men and women, or 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 women and women, and or, or and men and men. So. I think this isn't the first or last we'll be talking about it. Uh, and I don't know if anyone saw um, one of uh, a, a British based US comedian did a really brilliant sketch about Me Too and the fact that in 1985 there was a, a black woman, I think Patricia Hall, I probably got her name wrong. She took a high profile man to court and she was absolutely slated. But, you know, everyone was in an uproar basically saying, you know, Wall Street's terrible and it's all going to change and there were all of these videos and a whole movement and he's saying it happened then and we're talking about it now like that didn't happen it needs to change now so we're not sitting here in another 20 30 40 years time going <gasps> it's still happening uproar i really hope that actually things change within the system now and we don't forget what we seem to have forgot in 1985 and all of the other occurrences where it's come up in the media. I'm going to find out who that woman was. Emma, do you think that it is a generational thing? Is it? Because I really worry that it's not a generational thing. I worry that it is a cultural thing and that even as generations come up through, this attitude just persists in workplaces across the country and it just doesn't change. Yeah, I I think what it is, is a total lack of people really understanding the topic of Me Too. Mm-hmm. So the this whole thing came out of a conversation that James Whale was having around Me Too, which was about Jilly Cooper saying that men don't know, men can't flirt anymore. And I've had this conversation with a number of people that it's ridiculous, no one knows how to interact with people. And for me, I'm like, there's a massive misunderstanding of the issue of really understanding the depths of that issue. And I feel like sometimes people are just scan reading headlines or media and forming an opinion based on that and then going, oh no, the Me Too campaign is all a load of... And I'm like, you've got to you've got to really understand these topics now because it's not acceptable and when you and when things go wrong they're going to go really wrong because we have social media now we have lots of people calling out and challenging these views that are no longer okay they're just not okay and they should never have been okay you know that's the thing like we are we are in 2018 and it's taken us this long they were never okay but i we do have to appreciate the what was culturally normal i mean Mm -hmm. i don't know about you but i've there was a great well actually it wasn't a great thing there was a great thing over christmas i remember watching which was a compilation of tv uh throughout the 60s and 70s and actually commenting on the the sexism that was in tv and you look at those shows and some of those shows i grew up with and you watch them now and they're absolutely horrendous but at the time it was deemed okay now you can look at it now and go it absolutely never really was okay but there was some social conditioning that made that okay just on that point i watched crocodile dundee the other day and i absolutely loved that movie growing up and i watched it back and i was like (laughs) I don't know if I can like this anymore. Oh, no. There are basically really no me. films from the 80s yeah. that you can rewatch but now. Just, so, to, so the woman I was talking about, was, uh, her name is Anita Hill, and she is the subject of a HBO movie called Confirmation. Uh, she took an individual's court in 1991, and it's probably the biggest and most infamous sexual harassment case 
of a generation and there was huge uproar and everyone said this is never going to happen again and here we are wow it's happening again it it takes um it takes you have to be a really badass woman like that woman is and like nikki is Mm -hmm. to speak out and to you know uh challenge these so uh, i have massive respect for these women and to continually challenge it's not just a one-off challenging it's every every time it's wrong standing up and saying and having the energy to fight Mm. yeah yeah i agree that's what we like, badass women standing up. So our next story that tonight, uh, Nat, what is it? Our next story tonight is another badass woman uh, that stood up. And the result has been that France has made public catcalling and sexual harassment illegal. And if you engage in anything of the sort, you will be fined 175 euros. So about 667 pounds on the spot. Um, the law was passed after a video of a woman uh, being sexually harassed and then attacked went viral. So I think we've, uh, we don't have a clip of the video. I thought we did, but Fine. we don't. But okay. that, you just described it beautifully, so that's all that matters. Uh, Marie uh, Laguerre uh, was walking home in Paris when a man started making lewd comments and noises about her. Um, and she, you know, she wasn't taking it um lightly at all she told him to shut up and he threw an ashtray at her and then physically assaulted her and as i'm saying this people might remember there was a lot of footage being shared on social media of of this woman standing up and saying hey you know who are you talking to and this man absolutely going for her um as a result france's new law uh was passed and it also states that sex between an adult and a person of 15 or under can be considered rape if the younger party which was judged not competent to give consent the bill uh has also amended the amount of time underage victims have to file a rape claim extending the deadline from 20 to 30 years after the alleged incident so if you were 15 and thought it was okay at the time but actually on reflection as a grown woman you realize that you were taken advantage of and you you realize that at 35 you can make you could have made a claim and then at 36 you could not they're now saying they'll extend it uh, for another 30 years so that can be uh, brought uh, at 45 years but you know i think it's an example of a a, a government legislator legislator legislation uh, getting involved to stop this sort of behaviour. It is, but do you know what? The reaction of that man is a reaction that we all fear. And when we were talking last week, I was talking about men staring at me and never calling out. Is because you fear that that um, that violence, mm. which is exactly the way the guy reacted when she pushed back on him. So I'm really pl- but I'm like, why? Why is this just in France? Because you know, this we need this in the UK. So I think it really mirrored the conversation we were having last week. Um, if you missed it, it is on our podcast. Go and check it out. And um, it really talked about why we don't challenge catcallers. Because I get asked this the whole time. Like, if you don't like it, why don't you just say yeah. you don't like it? And the reality is because you just don't know if you're talking to somebody mm. who is not going to take that yeah. well. Yeah, fragile egos are lead to, like, yeah, you can be in trouble, like. Do you think it's going to be possible to enforce this? So $750 fine is going to be really hard if you're trying to track down the guy who whistled at you when you're on a street, there's no police, there's no one around. Do you I'm think going to start possible? wearing a camera. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. That's, that's Can you do that? Is uh, that legal or is that not legal? You, no, it's le- legal. It? You can wear a camera on your body if, if you want to. Uh, you need to also wear a sign to let everyone know who's staring at you <laughs> that you're <laughs> like recording them. Sign on my but, head. Uh, fine. On my forehead. Uh, and, and that's that's the the proof is in, is in is in the results, right? So if in a woman is catcalled and she tries to stop the individual or she 
points to a police officer and says this this guy whoever has just said this to me and the police officer says yeah whatever then the whole thing goes down in flames it it will be judged based on the number of fines handed but also, out i think it's less it's even less about you actually that bit law being forced i think the fact that that law exists suddenly makes catcalling a thing where like we said earlier about people's old-fashioned views, there's lots of people who think yeah. cat calling's okay. What's wrong with me saying something to somebody because I think they're attractive? It's a compliment. It's a compliment. No, it's that not. will just shut them right up. So what I think was bring that the voice Lauren. about? Both of you did a voice. <laughs> it's that the was voice my manly of every voice. Man who's ever me. <laughs> normally, that's what it is. Normally, yeah. Right. Says normally on a building site, and that's how all builders talk. I've just decided to generalise. <laughs> Massive generalisation. Sorry, builders of the UK. Uh, our next news story this week is visas, Emma. What is going on with visas? Well, this story breaks my heart a little bit. Whenever we do stories that talk about young women, I don't know why there's something like, there's certain things that make me cry and that's horrible stories that happen to young girls, dolphins, and uh, there's a singer that makes me cry as well. Anyway. Just... <laughs> but this is an awful story. <laughs> just stay with the story. She, uh, she was on a tangent. We let her go. So I feel a bit sad because of this story. Okay. Just give us the story, babe. Sorry. <laughs> so this story is about... Men are basically getting visas who uh, have forced girls into marriage. So there's girls that are being t uh, shipped abroad, Indian girls, to Bangladesh to marry um, men. And then when they're brought back, they're being grant the men are being granted visas despite petitions happening. Sorry, can I just, I don't mean to be the geography police, but Bangladeshi girls going to Bangladesh... Probably Pakistani girls going to Pakistan. What did I say? Indian girls going to Bangladesh. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Well, I've only got Bangladeshi as a reference here. But ultimately, what you're saying is that there's Southeast a, Asia. There's, there's a, yeah, there's a culture of um, uh, forced marriages, um, and in within communities, and young girls are being taken to their home countries to marry men. Uh, and they're going through horrid um, circumstances. They're being repeatedly raped so they can become pregnant, so that they can have get visas to bring the men back to the UK with them. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. And it almost, as we were reading through it, I was thinking about all of the work that Nimco Ali does on FGM. And I was thinking about the work that Polly Harrah does with the Sharian projects to stop forced marriages within the UK. And it's, all, it's one of those things that it goes under the radar, but you actually need people within the community to stand up and say this is wrong and support the education process and know what to look for uh, if a girl has, you know, if a girl's been taken out of school at a certain age and she's saying she's going on holiday, you know, is there a process to check what that holiday is and check that she's re-enrolled in school and the time that she's re-enrolled in school and I think that's some of the work that's been done around FGM and there's so much that needs to be done to, to stop this. So one of the things that really shocked me about this story was actually what happens in the visa process. So when um, a man applies for a visa as somebody's husband, um, they the people involved in that, so his wife, her family, they, can all at that, they will all at that point be asked, do you want this person to have a visa? And if it's a forced marriage and the girl doesn't want her, in quotes, husband to have a visa, she can say, but that statement will then be made public. So her whole family, her whole community and her husband will know that she has made that statement. Mm. And so there's a real push to try and make those statements private. Mm -hmm. And it is difficult because if somebody's being refused a visa, then they want to know why they're being refused. Yeah. 
But when you're thinking about all the societal pressure she's already got around her, for her to make a statement which everyone can see saying why she doesn't want that, that really... I think it must be a terrifying position to be in as a young girl. What's well, a clear thing of this can't be a situation of computer says no. Yeah. Cases have to be assessed. And you know, there are some very clear red flags, i.e. a young girl uh, on a visa application for a man who's probably considerably older than her. Not always, but yeah. Always, but yeah. Mm-hmm. But generally a young girl who is you know, 15, so not of marrying age, essentially. In, in the UK, you know, paperwork automatically to me would say, okay, what's going I on need to, Yeah, I need to treat, I need, to, or I just need to treat this slightly different because it, it's not every mm-hmm. single case where this is going to be a forced marriage, but just saying I need to treat this case slightly differently. And it can't be a computer says no or one size fits all application at all. And also there needs to be really proper prosecution of the immigration lawyers who work with mm. families to allow this mm-hmm. to happen. Yeah. So the Times that broke this story actually had a video on their website of an immigration lawyer, it's an undercover reporter, um, talking to the undercover reporter. He'd obviously gone in, you know, pretending that he wanted to arrange this marriage for his daughter. And she was saying, yeah, it's fine. You know, the age doesn't matter. If 15 to 16, you know, if, they're, if they are physically and emotionally ready, they're ready. And that kind of attitude is mm-hmm. not okay. You know, it's not okay. And people like that need to be prosecuted. Prosecuted and they need to lose their license and their yeah. whole livelihood and career. Yeah. Full stop. Absolutely. Um, and then finally on this story, because there's just so much in this story that really shocked me. Final thing that really shocked me was when we looked at the numbers of people who had kind of protested a visa. Um, and what they realized was 47% of those visas were still approved anyway. And then when you looked at the numbers of women ringing and calling help centres on this, and it was in the kind of over 500 and yet barely 100, over 100 complaints have been made. Mm. So uh, official complaints. So when you look at the numbers of women who feel like they can't speak out about what's going on, it's terrifying. Do we know how, how many women this happens to or how many young girls this happens to a year? So we don't, the estimates are in the thousands. Right. Um, but there's no official way of knowing mm. because you can't know if a marriage is forced or not unless somebody says. Yeah, okay. Um, and, you know, and there's a really, an interesting cultural question around forced and arranged. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I think is really important is that actually the women that have been through this, they are looked after and they're supported and that we talk about this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, that it doesn't become an issue that we go, it's really sensitive, so we're just not going to go near it. Well, uh, going to Emma's point at the start of um, the news story, any issue that's affecting women where they are being ushered by, against their will by mm-hmm. family members to do something, to get married, to alter their body, to do anything... We need to take those stories seriously. We need to discuss them and we need to make sure that we're all doing the work to make sure that changes are made where they can be within the system, but that we, we're, we're, all, we're all attuned to what's going on. Yeah, I just can't imagine what that's like as 15, being shipped abroad and then coming back impregnated with somebody that you, that you perhaps don't even want to be with and that you've right. got no voice to to really challenge that. Mm. It's um, heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Uh, final story, just a quick one um, before before the break. I love this story. This is about Oprah and Oprah apparently her favourite thing on date night with her other half is to cook him dinner. Aww. I think this is sweet. Twitter has gone mad about it. They say, how can Oprah, a feminist hero, <laughs> cook, dinner, cook for dinner for her other half? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, clarity. Not other half, for Stedman, 
her husband. The issue no, they're not is married. they're not married. They're not married. Well, no, they're not married. Her partner. Life partner. That's why it's very clearly other yeah. half. Yeah. 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 But, as, so, but <laughs> the point around it's the man. Long term. Yeah. But the. Uh, Twitter is going crazy because Oprah, a woman, is cooking food for a man. I, I don't, see, I don't get this. And or how does it, she's not, you know, flying the feminist flag? Apparently, how does enjoying cooking for somebody not make you a feminist? Like, what? I'm totally confused. <laughs> I'm with you. I mean, I hate cooking, so you don't actually do. But like, what's wrong with that? Like, I agree. My general rule on all these things is, if it would be a nice thing to do for your friend. It's okay to do it for your male, female, anything else partner. That's what I think. I am yeah. all, I, I, and cook it, cooking is the yeah. way to a Fem- man's heart. I will cook up every single thing if I'm no, trying to keep No, I don't know if that sounds you. like a feminist statement. <laughs> and there we go. <laughs> okay, yeah. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. I did promise that we were going to talk vaginas. Yay. It's time to talk vaginas. <laughs> Welcome to the show, the founder of the world's first and only vagina museum, Florence Schechter. Hello. 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 Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. We, it always makes us happy when people want to come and talk vaginas with us. <laughs> and set up a museum, given yes. that there is already one for penises. Yeah. There is. It's yeah. in Iceland. Yes. Have you been? No. no. Is it good? Is it worth a visit? Um, I've not been, but I know a lot of people have been. It's basically okay. like lots of stuffed animal penises and penises oh. in jars and stuff okay but the vagina museum is a bit different to that right it's not lots of stuff vaginas i mean we might have a couple you never know (laughs) um uh, but we'll uh, it's going to be everything it's going to be like science art culture history it's going to be you know just everything so tell us about it is it going to be an actual building that's the hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're like working towards there because um, I don't own a building because yeah. I live in London. <laughs> um, but yeah, the hope is that we'll have like a permanent building um, that you can go visit and there'll be events and exhibitions and stuff like that. How did you come up with the idea for a vagina museum? It sounds to me like one of those things that I would come up with as an idea <laughs> At about 11.35 <laughs> on a Friday night, five bottles of wine down. You're not the first person to say that to me, actually. And um, actually, not, it's not five bottles, probably just like a glass. Yeah. glass just straight away. Um, I, I came up with the idea because I found out that there is a penis museum in Iceland and there was no vagina equivalent anywhere in the world. There's like a virtual one and there's some medical ones um, and there's loads of like art galleries, but there's no vagina museum that you can go visit. And I was like, oh, that's not really fair fair like you know what about equality of the sexes and everything so um there's only one way to see change in the world Mm. and that's to do it yourself love it and is your background in museum creation or did you just decide you were going to start a museum and you've done it (laughs) i just decided to make a museum i am not in museums my day job is as a science communicator so it's like adjacent to museums so like you know i i do gigs like performing to people on stage and telling them about science and like doing tv documentaries and stuff like that um so so, yeah but i mean museums are fun i always love museums been to them a lot as a kid (laughs) i love the narrative of this because even though this is about vaginas actually what you're saying is that it's much broader so there are three purposes of the museum to educate empower and entertain but your vision is a world where no one is ashamed of their bodies has bodily anatomy and all of autonomy autonomy has bodily (laughs) autonomy and all of humanity works together to build a society that is free and equal i mean if there was ever a a big vision or big statement (laughs) that is the one to choose how did you get to that place and 
then determined that this museum was the the way to to make that happen um well i mean that's a world that i think all of us want to see and museums are really important in society they are what that's how society tells you what it considers important you know like um the british museum has all our imperial history in it and and we've got like lots of art history and stuff and having a building is society saying this is what we think we should remember mm. and so why don't we have a vagina museum there is so much important history we need to remember like you know how long people have gone without actually having any menstrual products how like you know pads and tampons were only invented within you know the past few decades legislative right uh, sorry, reproductive legislation, you know, that is huge right now. And I think that is a history that needs to be um, remembered mm. in a museum where we can go, look, this is an important part of our heritage. Mm. And also the whole, you've got a current exhibition on at the minute, which is, is your vagina normal? And I just read this and thought, God, it's so important because I know when I was growing up, there was nothing really that, I mean, that talked about what was normal. Mm. And I, I've definitely spent lots of times in my younger years obsessing about whether certain aspects of the, the normal healthy function of mine was okay or not. But I had no real mm. reference mm -hmm. or nothing, you know, social media obviously helps that. So mm. I felt like this is really important, especially for young women growing up, you know, when you're changing your bodies are changing to uh, to have that um where can where can we go to see the current exhibitions have you even got a permanent home are you doing like pop-ups or online or yeah we're doing like traveling we're traveling around the country so we're going to the next place we're going to is green man festival in the brecon beacons and then we're going to green belt festival um we're going to be at uh bloom Oh, yeah. Bloomsbury Festival. I can say it. It's fine. It's not announced, but yeah. Um, there's like on our website, there's a whole list. If you go to just vaginamuseum.co.uk forward slash is your vagina normal. There's a list of all the places that we have been to and we're going. So we went to the Science Museum. We went to Pride. Uh, we even went to Paris once. That was fun. Amazing. And where are you getting your funding from at the minute then? How are you? Uh, for that one, um, we did a crowdfunder. Mm. Um, and... Our funding at the moment is we don't really get much grant funding because we're not yet a registered charity. Our application is like off in the void. <laughs> Hopefully it'll come back soon. Um, uh, so about half of it is like from the events that we run. So we run between one and three events in London every month. And we do like comedy nights and film screenings and talks and all sorts of things. And then about 40% is donations. So you can donate on our website, vaginamuseum.co.uk forward slash support. Um, and then the last 10% is like merchandising and stuff like that. Mm, absolutely love it very entrepreneurial entrepreneurial and creative while also serving a huge social mission and purpose because 51 percent of the world ha ha well i was about to say has a vagina <laughs> obviously there are lots of other points yeah. there but you know th this is something that everyone should be talking about and not talking about sexually actually mm. talking about everything else that, that goes around it so the politics of the vagina um the 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 um i guess the biology of it but also we were talking about art when you go and see any exhibition whether it's at the table or others there there's lots of art that depicts the vagina or depicts women sort of mm. sprawled along a bed yeah curating that and understanding just how much women have been typically within the male gaze and what it means and how that's changed over time i think that's a fascinating conversation and I, i've never seen that curated in one place before mm. There's loads of vagina art out there. What I find really interesting is a lot of them are nude. A mm. lot of them, like, they Always, don't have yeah. any pubic hair for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then the first 
painting in like the modern sort of era mm-hmm. was um by goya that mm-hmm. he it's called oh, las majas nudes or something and it's that woman <laughs> she's like lying on a sofa all of them are women lying on sofas but she has <laughs> um pubic hair and th- this was really scandalous and he had to paint like uh well it's scandalous because she's naked he had to buy paint an identical one but she was wearing a dress in it they were like, Weird. you've got to, you've got to clothe her. So how come all these paintings didn't have women didn't have pubic hair? Were they waxing at that time, or were no. men just didn't like? Um, yeah, there were people who did shave. Um, like lots of sex workers throughout history have se- are shaved for like hygiene reasons, and then they would put a merkin on because. <laughs> pubic hair was seen as like you know it was very sexual because we get it when we go through puberty it was seen as very sexual so like a very chaste and beautiful young woman probably wouldn't have it that was like the ideal just mm. so this, this piece is of art, fascinating what's the name of this uh, this piece here oh uh oh god his the guy who did it is called he's very Austrian. so just for the record that is showing uh, what are we showing? It's a pregnant woman. It's a drawing of a pregnant woman, and his name is like Ernst Schiegel. I can't, I can't speak German. But it's <laughs> very, a very typical sort of um, single pencil uh, or, or watercolor. And it's if anyone imagines any piece of art that they've ever seen in a gallery of a woman where you do actually see some bush, it's basically that visual. That's that's what I'm looking <laughs> it's like at. Like full frontal. She's <laughs> yeah. got her legs apart. But you've um, got you go from that into this the 50s, 60s, and 70s where the bush is is mainstream i am a fan of helmut newton and you know his work is very 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 sexual but the bush features and it you know it's a main part of his photography but again i've never seen the works curated and and spoken about in a different way it's just spoken about in a sexual way and what i really feel with this is that you're moving it on from the sex into lots of other lots of other things and lots of other points of debate yeah well, I mean, you know, I have a vagina and a vulva and I use it for loads of things other than sex. So. <laughs> good point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's really a handy, handy appliance to have, right? <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask, what were your friends' reactions when you told them I'm opening a vagina museum? Um, they were like, this is the most Florence thing to ever happen. <laughs> <laughs> they were, I'm, I'm known for this kind of thing. Like, as a science communicator, one of my favourite topics is like animal sex and human sexual behaviour and stuff. So, like, this made total sense. Um, when I tell my family, that was a bit more iffy. Um, my dad sent me an email after my first interview in The Independent. And he said, dear Florence, you really hit the G spot with this interview. <laughs> You're like, like, oh, my oh God. thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah. They're oh, trying to show him. he was on side oh, and that he understood. Yeah. It's such a fantastic dad joke. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> we are going to keep chatting to Florence all about the Vagina Museum. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour Excel with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! Welcome back to Badass Women's RXL with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And this week we are very lucky to have in the studio with us Florence Schechter, the founder, creator, builder, amazing woman of the Vagina Museum, the world's first and only vagina museum. How amazing is that? Now, during the break, Nat asked a question. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think Nat would ever ask. Nat, what was that question? Do do all mammals have vaginas? Or no, uh, are humans the only people? Basically, does anyone else have a vagina is what I said, because I was genuinely curious. And then my mind was blown because the answer is. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Loads of animals have vaginas and some animals have cloacas, which is a vagina and a urethra and an anus all rolled into one. There's loads of stuff out there. And then I said, so do whales have vaginas? Because that was the first mammal I could think of. And they said. Yeah, there's like and whales have vaginas and they have penises and there's loads more known about whale penises than about vaginas so it's not just humans if if there's a penis then they'll rather do research on the whale penis (laughs) than actually doing it on our vaginas but anyway in the past like what is it 25 years there have been 364 studies on animal genitalia 49 percent have been about penises how many do you think have been about vaginas and how many about both Uh, I reckon 10% on vaginas. I'm going to say 2% on vaginas, the rest on both Both, because they want to know about the sex. Mm. You you were really close. It's 8%. Really? Wow. Yeah, mm. I knew they wouldn't bother. Yeah. <laughs> and then you told us about dolphins, which is... Oh, my God. Okay, so dolphin penises. So loads of underwater mammals, they keep their penises, like, inside them to make them more aerodynamic. Can you imagine if you're, like, swimming through the water and you've got a penis in the water, like, acting as a rudder <laughs> or something? Um, I can't, but I'm sure some of our listeners can. <laughs> um, so what they do is they keep them inside their body in what's basically labia. And, like, they have two flaps, and then the penis will come out of the flaps when they want to have sex. And um, so... You're telling us this is actually something that is about genetics, right? So men have labia. This is what I've learned. Yeah. Human men used to have labia. So what? Yeah, like, okay, so this absolutely blew my mind when I learned it. So all babies in the womb look exactly the same until seven weeks. We have exactly the same, like, protogenitalia. And at seven weeks, the Y chromosome will kick in if it's there. And it will start saying, produce testosterone, become, you know, like, grow a penis, don't grow a vagina. 
but the problem is is the baby's already started growing the labia and stuff so they're like oh god oh no okay um stop growing labia um we're supposed to be making a scrotum how do we do that okay just like stitch the scro like the labia together to make scrotum and so if you ever look at a penis um which like i hope you do they're lovely i, d- I don't want to say i don't like Only them on special occasions yeah. Yeah. um you'll see that there's like a seam that goes like on the scrotum and then under the penis and what mm-hmm. that is is a scrotum would have been the outer labia if there had been no y chromosome and the underside of the penis would have been the inner labia fascinating this is going to be really hard to concentrate next time (laughs) (laughs) you're going to be like can we just stop for a moment i need to have a look (laughs) and now let's have a conversation did you know i am going to be so this is going to come up on a pub quiz i am pretty sure and now i am just going to win that that point that everyone in the team needs that in the pub quiz yeah but you know you talking about this just reminds me how interesting and important it is to talk about vaginas and uh, you know I think we're having a laugh and, and we're being really flippant but this this affects so much of of the world and how things are created will you actually cover the fact will you go beyond the human when you're talking about vaginas within the museum oh yeah i mean so there's going to be four galleries science culture history and art mm-hmm. oh no sorry science culture society and history mm-hmm. i think i said that right and in science there's going to be like all the variations in the animal world because i love animal sex not in that way <laughs> just saying but um i find it super interesting so i'm going to make I'm sure i'm just pausing there. on that statement then replaying <laughs> don't, it don't sound like that yeah. please <laughs> i understand what you mean yes okay yeah, yeah. I, I think it is it is fascinating absolutely fascinating well how much of this did you know before you started the museum um, I knew a bit because um, my degree is in biochemistry and uh, from there I got really interested in like genetics and evolution and then from there like sex and you know all this kind of biology stuff so I knew a fair amount but then doing the museum I've learned so much like things What's I never thought. some of the stuff that you've learned that has just you're never going to forget now it's blown your mind? Oh my god um, probably um, all the different intersex conditions that exist. So between 1% and 2% of the population are intersex. And what that means is they don't fit into the two boxes that society has created. That if you have XX chromosomes, you have a vagina and you're a woman, and you have XY chromosomes and you have a penis and you're a man. Between 1% to 2% of the population don't have that. So they'll like have XY chromosomes, but they'll also have a uterus. Or they'll like only have one X chromosome and nothing else. Or they'll have like three X chromosomes. Or um, they'll have two uteruses back up, or back two up, back penises. Up, back up. Yeah. If you have three X chromosomes, yeah. what happens then? Um, you Oh, God, it's called Turner syndrome. And um, you don't look much different, to be honest. My um, had it. Who? Oh, my auntie really? had it. Yeah, my auntie had it. So uh, some of the symptoms of it, you tend to be slightly shorter than average. Mm. Uh, you do tend to die slightly younger. You'll find maybe some of your organs don't work in the same way. Um, but you would still identify them as a woman if they're walking down the street. Do yeah. they have a vagina? Yes. Yes. Yeah. But I, you can't have children, I think. Is that right? Um, I think it depends. Yeah. Yeah. And what I find really interesting is um, androgen insensitivity syndrome. So this is when... Um, you have XY chromosomes, but your body doesn't recognize testosterone. So testosterone is going through your body, but your body is just like, la, 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 I don't care. <laughs> so you know that bit where I was telling you how at seven weeks, if testosterone kicks in, it'll turn into a penis. Mm. Yeah. So because the body doesn't know to recognize testosterone, it doesn't grow a penis, like they grow a vulva. Mm-hmm. So this person will look female and they'll probably get to about 16 and they're like, I haven't started having my periods. They go to the doctor and the doctor like does a little examination and they're like, oh, your vagina doesn't have a cervix at the end of it 
it just stops. Oh, wow. And these people, they will have a vagina, but they'll have no uterus. Um, they won't have fallopian tubes. They'll have like gonads, but they're not quite ovaries, not quite testes. And then they find out they have XY chromosomes. Wow. But they have a vulva. Wow. So do they have sexual reproductive organs? Um, Apart from the gonads? In androgen sensitivity syndrome, if it's complete, if it's like total um, complete AIS, um, they'll have a vulva and a vagina and it will just look like yours or mine. I mean, I'm assuming what yours look like, but... <laughs> but again, but can they have children is what I'm asking. Not in that case, no. Right. Okay. Yeah. But that's not true for every type of intersex. Some intersex can people... In, some intersex people can have children and some can't. It depends on the exact, you know, condition. Wow. Yeah. And between 1% to 2% of the population is as many people who have red hair. So if you think how many people in your life you wow. know you have red hair, you probably yeah. know as many intersex people. Interesting. But mm. they might not know that they're intersex. No, a lot of people don't. I have a friend who... She found out she was intersex because um, she started bleeding between periods. And she was like, oh, this is terrible. I'm going to go to the doctor. And it is terrible. If that's happening to you, go see your doctor. And the doctor found out that she had two uteruses. And normally they had their periods at I've the same heard time. About this. Wow. And yeah. she got so stressed that her periods like went out of sync. And she was having like two periods. Oh, God. I know. And she, so she found out. And then the doctor was like, it's really good we found out. Because if you got pregnant, you would have to have a cesarean. You could never give birth vaginally. But wow. like two periods, one is bad yeah. enough. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, oh. I'll just have to have two. Yeah, yeah, totally. Wow, my mind is like blown in this segment. But again, there's nothing you can really do to check it. Only you only know when an yeah, issue is raised. Yeah, when something goes wrong. Sometimes. So um, when you have like what's called ambiguous genitalia, which mm. is when you don't have like that super obviously a vulva, that super obviously a penis, then at birth doctors normally will say to the parents and they'll often do something and sometimes they'll do corrective surgery or normalizing right, surgery um with the parents consent and sometimes without parents consent so have you ever heard of um lady colin campbell yeah yeah so she was born like that she had ambiguous genitalia and because it was the 1950s in jamaica and it was like a really posh family the doctor said do you want to raise them as a boy or a girl i'm going to do surgery you can pick which one you want mm. and they were like obviously you want a boy because we're like yeah. posh english people <laughs> um but then she started going through puberty and she was going through like a very female puberty like her hips were getting wider and she was like getting breasts she wasn't going through a puberty and she always felt like i'm definitely a woman but her family were like oh we clearly made the wrong choice um mm. let's give her hormone suppressant so she stops going through puberty oh, and wow. so she was raised as a boy called george mm. and then at 18 years old she was like i'm an adult now i'm gonna live my life as a woman mm. yeah i do remember that wow it's fascinating i cannot wait to come to this museum <laughs> absolutely cannot wait mm. what do you think has been no, what do you want the impact of this museum mm. to be? So Nat read out kind of statement, which is ultimately to change the world. What would you really like to see happening from people as they go through? I think the first big thing is like the normalisation of the gynaecological anatomy. It's such a stigma. And like the fact that we're talking mm. about it on the radio is amazing to me. <laughs> um, because so many times I'm with my friends and it's like, hush tone, do you have a tampon? You know, sort of thing. And the first big thing is just normalizing it, because I think from there, that's when we can start changing the world, when we can start, you know, really talking about reproductive rights. There, there were senators in America in 2012 who were banned from the floor uh, for saying the word vagina when they were debating about abortion. No so they couldn't say the way this was in Michigan, I think it was. And so if we were allowed to say the word vagina, maybe then we could start talking about these things. We could start talking about period poverty and FGM mm -hmm. and all these things. And I think normalization is really the first step. 
but to blow people's minds as well. Like I'm sitting here and I'm like, I remember learning about mammals in school. I don't remember learning about the fact that they had vaginas. I would have paid a lot more attention yeah, if they were. And I remember we did some, uh, there was a class on, on how they mate, quote mm-hmm. fingers, mate. And I didn't get any of this information. And I'm 34. And this is the first time that I've actually paid attention. And I've learned something. Yeah. But you're not just going to talk about uh, or focus on vaginas, are you? You're also doing some sex and relationship education, doing some like outreach programs. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a bit about what you're doing with those? Um, So we haven't started it yet um, because we're still in the very early stages. And when I do that, I want to do it properly and get like, you know, paid, experienced staff and do studies and stuff like that. But sex and relationships education is going to be a really big part of that because Mm. it's really bad in this country. And also there's barely any for adults. It's all for children. And like you said, you're 34 and you, you know, there's a lot of stuff I didn't know. Mm. So it's going to be things like, so I know a lot of teachers just for some reason, all my friends Mm -hmm. decided to become teachers. Um, and what they're telling me is that if they get it, because a, a lot of their kids don't, it will normally be about STIs. And that's mm. kind of like it. And maybe they'll learn how to put on a condom. They're that's not... what I remember from school. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. the only, that's it. Yeah. yeah. But they don't learn about like consent or sexual pleasure um, or any of these things like that. And they like LGBTQ relationships are never talked about, mm. um, even though... YouGov did a poll and for like 18 to 24 year olds, only half of people identified as heterosexual. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So these are like really big issues that I want to, you know, have the Vagina Museum um, talking about and going into schools and going running adult education as well. Mm. Uh, you, you know, when you looked at me then, you were like, you know, you're 34. I think you're going to say, and single. Yeah, good point. Maybe if I paid attention to the mammals and that. <laughs> but anyway, it, but it does. It gets you, it really gets you thinking. It gets your mind whirring and it, it gets it stimulated. And actually, we should be sharing this much, much younger. The whole, the whole, the whole spectrum of what you mentioned, definitely. Yeah. What has been, have you had any negative response to this? Have you had anyone who said, why is there not a penis museum, for example? Oh, only a couple times. I'm really annoyed (laughs) because I always want to be like, it's in Iceland. (laughs) Um, I've had a bit of, uh, you know, um, negative responses, not as much as I thought. And they tend to come from two camps. The first one is like the morality brigade, like, oh, privates should be kept private. And oh, this is so gross and you're really perverted. And I'm like, okay, but this is why we need the vagina museum is because you think vaginas are disgusting. Um, and then the second one is from like the TERFs, the, the trans exclusionary feminists who don't like the fact that the museum is trans inclusive. We believe that not everyone who has a vagina is a woman and not everyone who is a woman has a vagina. And like, that's just a fact. Like there are just people who exist like that, who have vaginas and don't call themselves women. But there are people out there who don't like that and define women by the fact that they reproduce, um, which is not, I mean, yeah, anyway, so they don't like it. And to be honest, they can shout and yell as much as they like. We're not changing our minds. But that is, that's the reason that I started earlier when I was talking about 51% and the numbers of women having, that have vaginas because I, I really want to get this right because I recognise mm. that there is a spectrum here and I'm not educated enough to know exactly what the spectrum is, yep. um, which means the education process needs to happen. Totally. So sometimes we use the word people with vaginas or people who menstruate and sometimes we use the word women. It depends on the context. Like, for example, you know, menstruation is something that happens to people who menstruate. Mm. But catcalling is something that happens to women. Right. And then, but also to make things even more complicated is like menstruation is also a source of a lot of women's oppression. So it's, it is so nuanced mm, and you can't just yeah. say like, 
paint everyone with one brush yeah I see yes yes mm. interesting like use of words isn't it in terms of like when you can say women and when you can yeah mm. you said you're going to have a societal section in the museum is that is this the type of issue that you will deal with in that yeah yeah so um do you give a really quick over like um, overview science is like all the informational stuff where you learn about like health and anatomy and also you know sexuality and gender identity and like the actual facts about it um society is where we talk about like it's like living history it's where we talk about the language that we use um uh, legislative rights fgm sexual violence it's definitely going to be the most depressing bit um <laughs> So, and then history is like history of menstrual products, history of gynecological medicine, history of sex work. Um, and then culture is like the art, you know, the paintings, the, cult the sculptures, the music, the books, the plays. Yeah. Where can I put my money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, oh I want to go to this place. <laughs> yeah. This is amazing. Well, um, you can donate on our website. Okay, just saying <laughs> what is the bit that you are most proud of? What's the bit oh. that you, you just want everyone to go and make sure they see this one bit? Um, well, I mean, considering that we don't have a permanent location, um, but if you went to our temporary exhibition, I think my favourite bit is my volunteers. Um, they're just like really lovely and open and helpful and they're just wonderful to chat to. What was the first step you took actually in creating this? How did you, how did it go from, I'm going to set up a museum <laughs> to what does one have to do to set up a museum? Um, lots of furious Googling. I mean, like, how, literally just Googled, how do you set up a museum? Um, and I found loads of like guides on the internet, you know, published by the Arts Council and people like that. And then I had loads of meetings with people at different museums and mm -hmm. different areas of it. And I started writing a business plan and blah, 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 boring stuff like that. Because yeah, you're doing it all properly because you've got a board of trustees, haven't you, or something? Have you I got, like, do. Yeah, okay. Because you, you know one of them. Yeah. <laughs> no, I do. But I'm like, wow, you've really gone, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, I've got an idea. It's like, mm -hmm. I am absolutely absolutely approaching this the proper yeah. you know the proper way getting the right people in place mm -hmm. yeah well I mean it makes sense you know we want to be a charity um so we have to have a board of trustees yeah. also I recognize that I don't know everything and you know I need to have other people around me P people are always surprised when they find out I'm like I've got a business plan and things I think it's because I'm a young woman and people no, just it's not that, that it's because you're it's a business plan for the vagina museum <laughs> like, I don't think it's because you're a young woman I, I think because of the context it sounds you know, it's creative. It sounds like a big idea. So to say, actually, you know, I have a board and we're making this happen. That's reading through this. I'm like, oh, OK, there will be a building in by 2020. Yeah. Which is oh, not by 2020. Yeah. Sorry, 2030. No. Well, How much money do you need to have oh, a building? God. Oh, God. What do we need to help you get? It's like, the, what's the wish list? We've got the plan. We've yes. got the plan. So, so the timeline is, and this is like quite vague, obviously, is we're currently doing a pop up exhibition and we want to do like, you know, temporary exhibitions for a bit and then have an interim space. So we like, t you know, take over a building for, say, three years. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we'd like to have by 2020. Yeah. Um, and then once we've kind of tried out the ideas, got a bit of a track record, and it's like a proof of concept, mm -hmm. then we start working on the permanent museum. And the permanent museum will be a humongous building, and that is probably going to cost, you know, £50 million easily. Um, and it will probably take about 10 years. So, like, for scale... Oh, um, the Design Museum in West Kensington, I don't know if you've ever been, yeah. it's really nice. Um, they moved from Shad Thames to their new place in Kensington. It took them eight years to build and cost £80 million. Wow. That's just how much museums cost. They're really expensive. Yeah. 
yeah. then you have to run well, it. Well, you know, 50 million mm. is actually not that much. If you are a big property developer out there, 50 million is a drop in the ocean. It's mm. five very, very, very wealthy women who want to put some money into charity because it's a tax break. Yeah. This is what we're telling you, ladies. If you've got that sitting in your, sitting in your bank account, <laughs> this is the place to put it. But I have an alternative perspective. If mm-hmm. you really want to make this mainstream, why is it not a wing of the Tate? Or mm-hmm. why is it not the mm-hmm. wing of an existing museum where you have people going through? Because re- realistically, people will go to the Vagina Museum who are already converted to wanting to know about mm-hmm. vaginas. If you want people to walk through the door that aren't open to it, actually you go where the mainstream go. That's a really good point, actually. And that's going to be a big part of our outreach programme is like you know, getting those people through the doors. Because the Tate have the same problem. Like most of their clientele are like old, rich, white people and they have exactly the same problem. Um, I want to have our own museum though because like being, you know, an extra wing on the Tate means like, oh, it's a side point. Is that vaginas are a side point. We deserve our own thing. You're basically like, no, I'm badass. I need my own building. (laughs) I need my 50 mil. Thank you. I'm thinking a virtual reality vagina museum that anyone can download anywhere in the world and experience... And learn about it's, vaginas. I like that too, but I like I do like the feel of a building. Yeah. I like going to a place and then like, you know, looking at the object, interacting with the objects and then going to sit in the cafe and eating a vulva cupcake. Well, <laughs> can you well, do the oh, wall, yeah. please? Can, so can can you do the do the pop up? Do the VR? Yeah. Do the building. Yeah. yeah. And do the vulva cupcakes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Prioritise the vulva cupcakes, I think. <laughs> Florence, we love this idea. Tell some people how they can get involved and where they should be looking to do so. Oh, so um, first of all, I mean, check out our online stuff. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at vagina underscore museum or on Facebook. We're at the museum because Facebook was like vagina is a naughty word. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> our website is vaginamuseum.co.uk and you can donate on there. You can also come to our events. So the next event we're running is um, on September the 18th and it's a comedy night and headlining is Helen Arney. Um, the details haven't gone up quite yet, but sign up to our mailing list on our website to find out when you can. Come up to our pop-up museum, hold a fundraiser for us and more generally just like talk to the people in your lives about vaginas. Normalise the conversation. Florence, it has been a delight. Florence Schechter from the Vagina Museum. Thank you so much for coming in. One, two, three, four... This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.